Like I said, Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been studying our way through the parables of Jesus. Not all of them, but many of them. And so we are continuing today with another parable that you, if you've been in church very long, you've definitely heard of, at least. Uh, It's a parable containing insider information. Matthew chapter 25, uh, page 484 at the very, well, bottom, um, if you have one of the white or blue Bibles that we gave you. And we're actually going to start in chapter 25, verse 14. Now, what I mean when I say insider information uh, is that uh, there's lots of organizations that have like insider info. And insider info is like the special stuff that the important people know, right? And, And usually when there's an organization that has insider information, it's usually a shady organization, right? So you're like, oh, yeah, they they pretend to be one thing. It's bait and switch. You know, you're in there and you're like, oh, this is just great. They're all friendly. And then, you know, a couple months later, you got a Ponzi scheme running with your uncles and aunts and trying to beg them for money. Because why? You get the insider information. Once you're in, they're like, oh, yeah, this is actually what we're calling you to do. This is actually what you want to do. And some people think churches are like that. Now, there are cults and things like that that do have like this bait and switch mentality where they're like super nice up front and then you get in there and you're like, wait a second, you got some secret book that's kind of weird. Biblical Christianity is not that, okay? You get the insider information right up front. So if you consider yourself a Christian, this applies to you. If you're here today and you don't yet consider yourself a Christian, good news, you get to insider information before you ever make that plunge so you can know that we're not going to be like, oh yeah, two years later, we didn't tell you you have to sacrifice your firstborn. Like, that's we're not going to bait and switch you on this, okay? So you're going to know exactly what the expectations are right here, right now, this morning. Sound good? All right, let's do it. One person is awake because everybody ate too much on Christmas and we're all like, how many other people are like, you swore off sugar yesterday. You're like, this is it. I'm done. This is just Christmas season. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing, because you're going to eat it again. (laughs) Verse 14, for it will be, this is Jesus speaking here, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And you're like, Jared, this makes zero sense, this sentence that you just read. I agree with you. We are jumping into the middle of a teaching that actually is two chapters long. So Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 are one teaching of Jesus. And when we're doing parables, which we are in this series, uh, Sometimes we jump into the middle of something. So I will do my best to explain to you what's taking place and what Jesus is saying. But what has happened is Jesus is telling three separate parables. And this is the middle of the three parables. So when you read, for it will be like, you're sitting there going, what is it? And that's a very valid question. So if you go back up to chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven will be like... And then he tells a story about 10 virgins, uh, which we're not dealing with today. I would love to do all of this. We just don't have time to 
tackle every parable uh, in one hour. So we're jumping down to the middle parable, starting in verse 14. And then he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. So what is it? It is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, the kingdom of heaven, and that's actually probably an easier way for you to read it. If you just want to substitute the kingdom of heaven for the word it in your Bible, in verse 14, it says, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Verse 15, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So Jesus is here comparing the way the kingdom of heaven works to the scenario where a man who is apparently very wealthy goes on a long trip and brings his servants in and entrusts to them his property, very valuable property. And Jesus says, this is the way the kingdom of heaven work. It's like we've all been entrusted or are stewarding or are taking care of somebody else's property, very valuable property, by the way. Now, just so you know how valuable the word talent in your Bible uh, is not actually a, a term of currency. It's a term of measurement. Well, it's actually kind of like the dollar bill, right? In the United States, back in the day, the dollar bill used to actually mean something. Like you could go to the U.S. Treasury and get the amount of gold that the dollar bill stood for. That, that we started printing money and that stopped happening. Like you can be like, I want my gold. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, good luck, bro. But uh, that's what happened with the talent. It used to be an actual weight or measurement of about 75 pounds worth of precious metal. So if you had a talent of gold or a talent of silver, you're talking 75 pounds worth. So this is giant. So later on, by the time Jesus came on the scene, it was a measurement of currency. So a talent was the largest denomination of currency. It was like, a lot. Some scholars are talking about like 20 years worth of wages. So this is a ton of money. So when you read five talents, two talents, one talent, you're like, ah, I don't know what that means, right? That's fine, but you should be reading like $4 million, $1.2 million, $800,000. That's what you should be. You should be like, whoa, yeah, whoa, here we go. And so the master leaves and it says he's gone for a long time, and the three servants are left to take care of the wealth. One with, like I said, about $4 million, one with $1.6 million, one with $800,000. And it says the one with $4 million goes and makes $4 million more. The one with $1.6 million goes and makes $1.6 million more. The one with $800,000 buries it in the ground, okay? So there's three servants here. But I want you to notice this right up front. There's only two paths. There's three servants, but there's only two ways to handle the wealth that they've been entrusted with. And, and this is important because we think like, oh, there's three different ways to do it. No, there's not three different ways to do it. There's only two different ways to do it. There's three servants because it's gonna, Jesus is gonna show us something very important about comparison. See, the first and the second servant are on the same path. Even though they receive different amounts, they're doing the same with it. They're, they're applying their work ethic. They're, they're going out, they're making good, they're trying, and they made more with what they were given. The other path is a completely different plan. The guy buries it, which is not necessarily like 
lazy. 75 pounds worth of stuff, like you, had, that, you got to dig a hole to bury that, right? That's not like you went out in the garden and just like, you know, bloop, we'll see you later. Like there's some work involved in that. And yet he goes and buries it. It's a completely different path, a completely different plan. These are two drastically different approaches to how to handle what you've been given. There's the do a good job with what you've been given of the first two servants. And then there's the go and hide out of fear what you've been given from the second servant, from the third servant. And the first two servants work their plan and the third servant works his plan. And probably if you know anything about how money and finances work, the only person out of this whole scenario who got exactly what he wanted is probably the third servant. Right? If you had $4 million and you want to make $4 million more, like that's a pretty good day, but there's probably a lot of failures along the way. Talk to a financial person or anybody who's done any sort of business or really tried anything important in life at all. Right? There's probably a lot of times where that didn't work out, that didn't work. And in the end, praise God, he ended up with $4 million more. But there was probably a lot of times along the way where he's like, man, I wish this were worked out better. The only person who gets exactly what he hoped to get was the third servant. He buried it, and when he went to dig it up, it's right where he left it. So the master comes back. He left about $6.2 million between these three servants. And like any master, he wants to know what happened to it. So look at what happens in verse 19. So after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. So the master comes back. The first servant reports, Hey, I took your $4 million. I tried some stuff. I ended up making $4 million more. Here's $8 million of yours that I am returning to you. And the master is thrilled, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. He says, you have been faithful, and because of your faithfulness, I will entrust you with more. You see that? The second servant comes in. Master, I took your $1.6 million, and I made $1.6 million more. And the master says, hey, that was a really good try. No, that's not what he says. We would think that's be what he says, right? Because the last guy brought in 8 million bucks. And this guy's bringing in 3.2 million. 3.2 million is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not 8 million, right? And so the master very easily could have been like, hey, you gave a good effort. C plus, bro, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Average is awesome. But the master doesn't do any of that. In fact, there's zero comparison between the two. The master doesn't say anything about the first servant at all, only addresses the second servant based on what he did with what he was given. Do you see that? And actually, the second servant gets the exact same reward from the master. Do you see that? He, the master uses the exact same words. There's zero difference at all. 
And so in our minds, we're like, hey, that guy's okay, but he's not like this first guy. The master doesn't say that at all. And this is the genius in Jesus using three servants to illustrate two different paths. It's because if we just had one servant who did a good job and one servant who did a crappy job, we'd be like, oh, it's a, it's a bottom line business. It's all about how much you bring in. It's all about a quota. You have to check the box. You have to fill out a number. It's however much you ended up with at the end of the day. That's all that God cares about. And that's not all that God cares about. And that's why there's three servants to illustrate two paths. The guy who had 4 million and made 8 million and the guy who had 1.2 million and made 3.6 million both get the same reward because it's not about how much at the end of the day. It's not a bottom line business. It's about the path that you're on. And here's the two paths that the master says are in this parable. There's faithful and there's unfaithful. And that's it. There's faithful and there's... Now, Christians get a bad rap for being dogmatic and narrow-minded and everything's black and white and you're so judgmental. Actually, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of things that are relative in the Bible. And you doing a good job with what God has given you is one of them. He understands that some of you have been given 1.2 million. Some of you have been given 4 million. Some of you have been given 800,000. And he's not going to expect you that have been given 800,000 to produce 4 million. He's going to expect you to be faithful with what you've given. And that's it. Now, there is black and white in one thing. Are you faithful or are you unfaithful? Are you trying to do a good job with what you've been given or are you not and I do want to point out that there is absolutely zero comparison of the master between any of the servants. He doesn't reference any of them, which is what we do, right? If you were the guy that brought in eight million, you'd be like, dude, I kill it. I mean, I don't want to brag, but dang, right? That's what you'd be thinking. Like, how much did you get? Well, I made 1.2 million. Oh, really? What's 1.2 but 1.2? 3.6. Oh, yeah, that's... that's Wait, 1.2? No, I'm not good at math. I went to public school. I'm sorry. Some of the bankers in here are like twitching. Like, this guy can't even add. I'm sorry, right? The guy had no, no, no comparison in his heart. The master has, he doesn't say, well, you didn't. There's none of that. And yet we as servants always do that. We look over and we're like, hey, this guy, he's doing this, he's doing that. The problem with comparison is that you're dealing with what you know about yourself and what you don't know about somebody else, right? You're comparing what you know about you with what you don't know about somebody else. You don't know where they are. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know how much they gave, they were started with, right? And so there's trust fund kids who have an apartment in the city and a nice job and are making a difference in the world. And yet they're just riding their parents' coattails. They were born on third base, think they hit a triple. And then there's other people in life who were born on the other side of the tracks. And it's amazing they even got up this morning. But it's not about how much, it's not a bottom line business. It's are you faithful or unfaithful? And there's zero comparison in any form. There's only one evaluation. Were you faithful with what the master gave you? I like it to say it like this. Well, actually the Bible says it like this. Romans chapter 14, verse four. Because you know, Rumor has it church people are judgmental. I don't know. Romans 14, 4, it says this. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Now, 
Some of you are going to take this and be like, oh good, the pressure's off. I, do not take this message this morning as an excuse to do less with your life, okay? So if you're, like, if you're hearing this, you're like, good. God, whew, pressure's off of me. That's, that, you're wrong, okay? I'm not talking to you. You plug your, don't listen right now. For those of you who are judging everybody else, will be like, why don't you do more? You read this. Shut up. They're not your servant. They're God's servant. God knows what he gave them. God knows what faithfulness looks like for them. You just pray for them. Quit comparing yourself to them. Quit feeling better because you did something that they didn't do. Okay? Rant over. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the third servant is condemned, not because of his failure in comparison with the other two servants, but because his fear is a reflection of his relationship with his master. Look at what he called the master. He's like, I knew you were a hard dude. I don't know, man. He just entrusted $6.2 million of his stuff to servants. Like, that seems pretty generous and trusting to me. And yet the third servant calls him hard and worthy of fear. You know people like that who have a relationship with God that's just a little tweaked? Like, oh, man, he's like a giant math teacher in the sky. He's just like... Come on, do it better, try harder. Can I, can I just, if, if you've ever felt that pressure, the message of the scriptures is not for you just to do better and try harder. That, that's, not, that's not the gospel. And, and lots of times that's what church boils down to. You come in on a Sunday and say, hey, can't you all do better? You're welcome, let's pray. And that's what we hear, right, over and over every week. Here's ways to do better and try harder. Right? And we're doing a series on ways to do better and try harder with your money. We're doing another series on ways to do better and try harder in relationships. And we're doing a series on how to do better and try harder with your kids. And it's Valentine's Day, so let's talk about doing better and trying harder in love. Right? We're never going to do that because that's not the message of the Bible. <clears throat> the message of the Bible is understand how good God is. Don't look up and say, you're a hard master. I should be scared. No, no, no. You don't understand God if your view of him is of hardness and fearfulness. And the question that should be being answered with your life is, do you understand his goodness, and are you being faithful with what he's given you? The faithfulness with what he's given you is a reflection of you understanding his goodness. It's not an earning of his goodness. Do you understand the difference? Like, this servant is doing what he did out of fear because he doesn't understand how good the master is. When you understand how good the master is, then you go out and do a good job with what he's given you in gratefulness. You're not earning the master's kindness. You're responding to the master's kindness. You see the difference? And that's what this third servant didn't understand. 
And we all know how this works in every aspect of life. We're all entrusted with different amounts. We're all given different things. We all start in different places. And the only question that really matters is, are you doing a good job with what God has given you? And the truth is, it doesn't even matter if you're doing a good job. You could be doing a crappy job. I can't tell you how many times I get up here and I preach a message and I'm like, that didn't go very well. And then like 25 people are like, that was incredible. I'm like, what? Like I, I said the wrong words and the thing and our sound system broke and like the chairs were crooked and like all the things that I think make a good sermon, right? They all go wrong and then people are blessed because the Holy Spirit is good and God is faithful, right? And so it doesn't even matter about you doing an actual good job in your own mind. Are you even trying? Are you even trying? Here's where I'm going to wrap up this part of the message, and then we're going to finish with three quick things. Uh, I'm going to throw our mission as a church on, on, on the screen. Our mission as a church, if you didn't know, is to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. The master in our story is upset with the servant because the servant's relationship with the master did not lead that servant to make a difference with what he was given. He didn't do anything with it. He didn't try. It's not that he didn't do a good job. It's that he didn't even try, right? And so knowing God should lead to freedom, should lead to discovery of purpose, should lead to making a difference. If you've been given anything in life, it's so that you will make a difference. God didn't give you stuff. It was like, you comfortable? You good? You comfy? This isn't a first-class flight, right? He's not a flight attendant in the sky. It's like, you good? We're good? You comfy? Just don't want you to be uncomfortable. No, you're, you're comfortable? Like, and then there's so many Christians who are sitting in a pew somewhere who think that the grace of God is about their comfort. It's not. The grace of God, the things that he's given you, he, everything he's given you, he's given you to make a difference in this world. People who are not even believers in Jesus know that. How many, like, philanthropists, right? And, and all these things, right? People are out there trying to help make clean water in Africa and stuff like that because they're like, you know what? This making a difference in the world, there's something to that. Yeah, that's what the Bible says, right? That's a scriptural principle. God has given you what he's given you, starting with a knowledge of him, Next, a freedom from sin. Next, a clarity of purpose. So at the end of the day, you would go out and make a difference in this world for his kingdom. That's why he's given you what he's given you. And if you've stopped somewhere along that path, maybe you're like, I know God, I'm going to heaven, I'm good, I'm just going to sit. And you're going to sit in your sin. You got to find freedom. You got to stop doing those things you shouldn't be doing. And maybe you found freedom. Maybe you don't do all the bad things that Christians do, right? You don't go to R-rated movies unless it's Passion of the Christ. And you don't wear leggings because, you know, there's that whole thing. And, you, you know, you got this list of things that we homeschool our kids because we, and, and all these things that, you know, the church people, and we found freedom from sin. We just don't have a purpose. The purpose of church is not just to come to church. The purpose of reading the Bible is not just to read the Bible. The purpose of believing in Jesus is not just to believe in Jesus. It's that you would go out and make a difference in the world. I had a whole bunch of people, by the grace of God, come up to me last week and say, that was an awesome message. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed and humbled that that was very helpful. But that is not why I teach the Bible. That is not why this church exists. So that you come in and say, that was a great message, and go home. 
we do what we do here on a Sunday morning so that what you hear and how the Holy Spirit works in your heart through the word of God would cause you to go out those doors and make a difference in your world. So I hope that you didn't just come in and be like, that was great, and then leave the same person. I hope that you came in, heard the word of God, it changed your heart, and then your Christmas dinner was different. Your New Year's Eve will be different. Your conversations with your kids will be different. Your relationship with your wife will be different. That's the purpose of what we're doing here this morning. And that's what this third servant didn't get. The master didn't leave the stuff with him. Just, hey, go bury it. And when I just, if, I, if he wanted it to be there when he got back, he would have just dug his own dang hole. He entrusted it to be stewarded, to be taken care of. And, and the fact that that guy didn't even try is a reflection on his relationship with the master. I thought so little of you as a master that I didn't even try with the stuff you gave me to take care of. I didn't even try. I didn't even put one bit of effort into it. I just dug a hole and now I buried it. Here's where we'll finish. Most of the time when you hear this parable taught in a church or something like that, you hear it something along the lines of what we've just done. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You've all been given something. Don't waste it. You've all been given marriages. Do a good job with your marriage. You've all been given kids. Do a good job raising your kids. You've all been given free time. Do a good job with your free time. Right? We do that over and over. And, and if we aren't careful, we could fall right back into the try harder, do better message of the church. I believe that's part of the point Jesus was making. But... If that was the whole point of the teaching, then why does Jesus only spend three verses talking about what the servants actually did with the money? And then he spends 11 verses talking about what the master says when he gets back. If Jesus wanted to tell a parable about y'all should try harder and do better with what you've been given, he could have spent a lot more than three verses been like, he could have given us a list. He could have been like, this is how you fulfill what I've given. This is how you do a good job. He could have given us some rules and regulations and guidelines and set up like, hey, everybody needs to be following these rules and checking these boxes. But he didn't do that. He spent very little time on what actually took place with the three servants. And he spent a whole bunch of time on the conversation at the end. And I think that if you were reading this in the first century, if you were listening to this, when Jesus taught it, there's three things that would stand out to you in a way that don't stand out in 2020. If you're reading this right now with me, you're reading this in English. Uh, this was actually originally probably spoken in Hebrew by Jesus, probably written down in Greek uh, in the New Testament. And now when we read it in English, the translation, we lose some stuff. And, and I'll point those three things out. Here we go. The first, when you and I read the word servant, right? He says, the master entrusted his servants with these things. We read the word servant, and that doesn't mean hardly anything to us. Sir, okay, right? We don't have servants. It's just not something we do in our culture for the most part. I mean, we just don't have servants. It's kind of, it's just not a thing. In Jesus's day, not only were there servants, there were different types of servants. And actually, if you get into the Greek language, there are several different words used to describe the different types of servant that existed. And this word is a very special word. It's the Greek word doulos. And sometimes in your Bible, you'll read it translated into English, bond servant. 
It's a very special type of servant, okay? It's not just a servant, like not just like, hey, I went and bought this guy as a slave, not just like, hey, this guy owed me money, so I put him into service. A bond servant, a doulos, is somebody who had worked for a master and at some point had decided, you know what? I like this guy. I believe in it. I want to continue this arrangement. I want to live with this master, serving him for the rest of my life. And if you made that choice of your own free will as a bond servant, what they would do is they would pierce your ear and you have this big fat ring in your ear as a sign to everybody that you are a bond servant. You were just some servant that was in debt to your master. You weren't just some servant that was owned by your master. You were a servant out of your own free will. You chose to serve that master. That's completely different. So as we're reading this, we just go servant. And as Jesus is teaching this, his audience would have been like, no, no, no. These are bond servants. These are servants who have chosen to serve their master. So why do I bring this up? This is not for everybody. Like I said at the beginning, this is insider information. This is not for you to go stand on the street corner and tell every Tom, Dick, and Harry, do better, try harder with what God's giving. You've all been given stuff, and you're doing, you're wasting it. It's, it's not. The disciples were with Jesus. When they were alone, Jesus pulled them aside and said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who went on a long journey and entrusted to his servants. So, so this is not, like, we're not trying to go judge everybody out on planet Earth. They're doing a bad job. They're, that's not what this is for. This is for people who are what the Bible calls bond servants of Christ. That's the exact word that the New Testament uses for those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. We are willingly choosing to serve God with our lives. And so if, that, if that's you, if you've chosen, then, then you need to know this. I don't want you to feel like there's some, like, if you're unsure about Jesus, you haven't made that commitment yet, that there's some, like, huge expectation and, like, we're just bringing the, the guilt train upon you. That's, this, that's not for you. But if you're inside, if you do want to know what a life looks like that honors and pleases the Lord, this message is for you. And think about it. This is why the master is so angry at the third servant. He's like, you committed, you chose. I didn't make you serve me. You were a bond servant. You chose to come to me and say, hey, I think so much of you that I want to serve you with my life. And then when I gave you stuff, you wasted it. What? You just, you, you, you're like, oh, this guy's great. I love him. I want to serve him with my life. I want to be his bond servant. And then I left and you're like, oh, he's a hard man. I'm scared. I don't know like, you don't even know me, man. That's why this master is so upset with this third servant. Because this servant chose to be a bondservant. And then when this master gave him something, he didn't even try with it. He didn't even make the effort. Second thing that would have stood out to this audience. This is a lot of money. This, we, we read talents. And like, I don't know about you, but when I read something that I don't understand, I just assume it's not important. I'm like, five talents. Yeah, don't know how much that is. Like, probably not important. No big deal. Right? But like I said earlier, this is a lot of money. We read this, right? Talents, it's probably like 20 bucks or something. Right? So we read, and like, oh, he gave one guy 20 bucks and one guy 15 bucks and the other guy 
38 cents, right? I'm like, okay, whatever. No big deal. No, no, no. This is a ton of money. So much so that there's none of the servants. Like, this is excessive. Like I said earlier, the comparison is like, he gave one 4 million, one 1.6 million, one of them 800,000. So the guy with 800,000 can't come back to the master and be like, you know what? I was going to do something with your money, but there wasn't quite enough there. I mean, it wasn't even a million. 800,000 doesn't go as far as you think in 1 AD, right? No, that, like, that's ridiculous, right? The people who would have been listening would have been like, that's, that is an unbelievably kind and gracious and trusting master to give that kind of money to those servants. Like, it's not just like he was like, hey, here's 20 bucks, make the most of it. This is ridiculous, excessive even. Like, not only did he give, he gave above and beyond, like, what is normal and, and comprehensible and, like, that's, like, borderline, like, like said, ridiculous. Like, you gave how much to servants and then you just left? The thing that you've been given by your master, your father in heaven, is enough to make a difference with. Nobody gets to go to God and be like, hey, I, if I was just a little prettier, I would have I made it, right? If I wasn't quite so gangly, right? If you just made me like a UFC fighter for Jesus, then my church would have been like, like, no. Nobody on planet Earth has been given too little to make a difference with. It would have been overwhelming to the audience like how much they were given. And that's the truth of Christianity. We are not people who feel like we have to make God happy with us by doing a long list of things in order to please him. We are people who are blown away at how much he's already given us. We're like, what? That's, that's, that's a ton. That's a ton. This is the point. None of the servants could go to the master and say, well, I would have made a difference if you would have given me more. Nobody has ever lived who can go to God and say, you didn't give me enough. Now, not everybody was given the same amount. I, I agree with you there. Not everybody was born into equal circumstances. It's understood. But you know this for certain. Everybody was given enough. In fact, I'd say it this way. Everybody was given more than enough. Every single person who walked in this room this morning was given more than enough to make a difference with. Last thing. Jesus told this parable because his disciples asked him, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 24, what is it going to be like at the end of the world? And sometimes this isn't very popular to talk about in churches, right? The end times and stuff like that. And like, there's a lot of churches who just stare straight away from that. They, we're never going to talk about it because it's weird and we don't fully understand it. But Jesus, actually, if you follow through his teaching, he talked about the end of the world a lot. And most of the time he did so saying, be prepared, know that it's coming. I hope you understand that this isn't always going to be like that. There's going to be an end of the world and you should be ready for it. And what happened is they were walking through Jerusalem and the disciples were looking at the temple. And the temple in those days was huge. It was massive. Herod built this temple in Jerusalem. It was just a massive thing. I've been to Jerusalem. Some of the stones that they have there are like 40 feet long and like 20 feet thick. They're, it's absolutely massive structure. And the disciples were looking at it like, 
How did humans build this? And Jesus goes, you know what? There's going to be a day when that thing won't even stand anymore. Not one stone will be on another. It's all going to be torn down. And the disciples are like, what? This thing's going to be torn down? And that prophecy came true, by the way, because if you go to Jerusalem today, there is no temple. It's all been torn down. And you can see the place where the Romans came in and conquered Jerusalem and they threw the stones off of the wall and they landed on the ground and broke the concrete and the stones are sitting there. There's massive things. It's, it's no longer there. And so his disciples were like, really? This thing's going to be torn down? So when they were alone later on the day, the disciples got Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you know the thing you said earlier about how the temple's going to be torn down? Like, what are you talking about? What's it going to be like in those, like the end of the world is coming? Tell us, tell us what we need to know about the end of the world. So Jesus does. He goes, all right, here's what you need to know. And he starts telling this parable. And he starts telling three parables. Actually, like I said, this is the middle one. And when he gets to this parable, he spends three verses on what the servants actually did with the money. And then he spends 11 verses on what happens when the master came home. Do you see that three verses? If you go with like the amount of time spent on that, it seems like Jesus was not emphasizing like, hey, really worry about what you're doing right now. It seems like Jesus was emphasizing, hey, know that at the end of all of this, you and God are going to sit down and you're going to talk about what you did with what he gave you. Just know that. Just know that. Just know that you're going to be given a ton, way more than enough, and at the end of it all, you and God are going to have a chat. And some of you are sitting there going like, oh, really? So he's going to like check up on me? Right? He's going to like grade my paper? Like he's going to go through and be like, can't believe you did that. Wasted money on Taco Bell here. Can't believe you bet. He's going to go through every little thing with his red pen and be like, wrong, wrong, wrong. If that's your heart, you have a severe misunderstanding of God. We had Christmas the other day. Well, not just we. Probably all of you had Christmas, I'm guessing. <laughs> and when Christmas morning came, you know what I wasn't worried about? I wasn't worried about my wife opening her presents and being like, you spend money on that? Really? I was excited for Christmas morning. I went out and I spent our money and I bought things that I thought my kids would like. And I actually was so excited to show them what I did with the money that I spent. I was ecstatic. In fact, the night before we hung out with some friends and I was like so excited. Like when my kid wasn't looking, I was like telling them. I was like, yeah, I got my kid one of these things. and I'm so excited about it. And so when Christmas morning came, I was just so excited for them to open their presents. And so my wife opened her sweatshirt and I was like, look at this sweatshirt. And then my kid opened his sword and he's like beating on the couch. And I was like, yeah, great. And then my daughter opened her Bluetooth microphone and she's singing Jesus Love Me and Dance Like Your Daddy because those are the only two songs she knows. And it was awesome. I was so excited for our kids to open the presents and my wife to open the presents and share with them what I did with the money I spent. Christmas morning was like awesome. It wasn't like judgment time. It wasn't like, all right, let's see what you did. No, it was like, this is going to be great. I can't. And that's what it's going to be like at the end of your life. If you intend to do a good job with what God gave you. If you understand how good God is and the grace and the abundance of what he's given. He's not a hard, judgmental master that you should be fearful of. 
You should want to get to the end and be like, God, I, I just, look at what I did. Look at, I can't believe it. I tried here and I invested in my marriage here and I prayed with my kids here and then we went out and did this thing and then we tried this and we walked by faith here and I can't believe what happened. Look at, look at what happened. So last night, I was finishing this up, right? I usually finish earlier in the week, but, uh, you know, God had his reasons that I had to finish the last touches on my messages on Saturday. And uh, it took a little longer than I thought, partly because I was trying to study while I was watching the Zags whoop Virginia. Woo! Anyway, um, you know, Bible study while you're watching basketball is not very productive. So it took me a little longer than it should have. Stop judging me, right? So... It got to be a little later than I wanted it to be. And my wife's texting me like, are you home yet? You know, she's being nice about it, but she's kind of like, you've been gone a long time. And so I was at the church office and I was like, yeah, I got to finish, got to finish, got to finish. And it was just taking me longer than I was like, ah. And so I get in my car and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Let me just go home. I'm ready to go home. And there's a big church building up there and there's a whole bunch of older folks that go to that church. And so they have trouble shoveling their walks after big snow. So I thought, I'm going to go around the block and drive by that older church and see if their walks haven't been shoveled. You know, maybe I'll shovel it, but I kind of didn't want to. I kind of wanted to get home, you know. So I go around the block, and as I'm waiting for traffic, this guy comes up to me, up to my window, and he knocks, and he's like, hey, man. He's like, can you pull a car with your car? And I was like, <laughs> sounds like a loaded question, right? And in my mind, I was like, I want to go home right now, man. Like, the, I, I, don't, I don't got time for this. But I just spent like six hours talking about, have you done a good job with what God gave you? <laughs> right? <clears throat> do you have a four-wheel drive car so you can get home on time? Or do you have a four-wheel drive car, Jared, so that you can help the guy that needs it right now? Dang. Right? So probably this message was just for me. Like probably you guys are just like here watching. Like you, none, none of you probably need this. God is probably like, Jared's so dense. If I don't teach him this, he's never going to get it. Right? So I did it. I spent my 45 minutes helping this guy. Praise God. Pray for His name's Cameron. He was supposed to come to church this morning. I don't see him here. Maybe he's here. He'll come up afterwards. Right? But, right? Pray for that guy. I don't know why God put me there, but I do know this. Right? There's going to be things in your day where you're like, am I trying with what God gave me? Am I doing what God has called me to do? And this is a great time for us to talk about this because it's New Year's, right? You're about to make New Year's resolutions. And one of the great things about New Year's, Christmas time, holiday season, is we start to think of our life in a little bit bigger chunks. We start to think year by year instead of just moment by moment. And that's actually what Jesus is teaching here. They were like, hey, tell us what the end of the world's going to be like. And he's like, at the end of the world, you and God are going to have a chat about what you did with what he gave you. That's a pretty big chunk, right? That's a big picture. Faithful or unfaithful? Those are your two options, right? And so now if you're looking at your life a year ago and you're remembering back, hey, what was the last year like? Hey, what's the next year going to be like? I hope, I hope that your heart is stirred a little bit. Hey, let's, let's get on the faith. Maybe you weren't as faithful as you would have liked to be over the last year. Well, if you end up with a big chunk that was unfaithful, it's probably because there was a whole bunch of little moments that were unfaithful. So if next year at this time we want a big chunk that was faithful, we got to make little moments that are faithful. You're going to go talk to your wife this afternoon. You're going to talk to your husband. You're going to talk to your kids. You're going to meet some strangers. You're going to hang out in the park. I don't know. You're going to sled. Those are opportunities that God has given you 
to make a difference in this world. And I pray right now the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see that. Because at the end of it all, you should be ecstatic to share with the Lord what you did with what he gave you. Amen? Let's pray.